All right. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. My guest today is Jeffrey Camus. Uh, Jeffrey has done everything in the sports betting world and technology and a lot of other awesome things with investing we're going to talk about today. Uh, he's founded companies. Uh, he manages the iBet ETF, which I think is a, a great way to get exposure to the sports gambling space. Uh, but super excited to talk to him. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Oh, Ben, thanks for having me. Glad to be on. And uh, thanks to your listeners and uh, appreciate your time. For sure. Yeah. I figured we'd start a little bit with your background um, just so listeners can get to know you a bit. So yeah, I think you have a super interesting story. You know, you've done fancy sports. You've worked on the investment side and on the technology side, um, done a ton of different things. So yeah, maybe we could start at the beginning, you know, how you got interested in all this stuff um, and kind of what brings you to managing an ETF today. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, you know, growing up in Chicago, that's one of the greatest sports towns we have in, in, in the United States. And I think it's either your, you know, your Cubs fan, your Sox fan, there's very diehard sports people there. I played a lot of baseball when I was younger, played until a little bit of, you know, post-college, like in some A-level league stuff. And, and I loved playing, but I got injured and, I, and I, got, I wanted to stay in sports. So I got into analytics and I got in on the fantasy sports side really early. I mean, I would be, you know, not that I should be on the Mount Rushmore for fantasy sports. There are a lot of people, but I had one of the very first database sites online and it was called Dr. Stats Fantasy Sports. At the time, I probably could have got fantasyfootball.com or something or fantasy baseball, but I didn't know what a domain and how valuable it was. This is really pre, you know, 2000 tech bubble. This was like 1995. And um, at the time I wanted to do run leagues because I thought, okay, make, makes sense. You can run a league. You know, if you have three thousand dollars in in prizes, you know, you charge people five, you make a little bit of money doing that. And they started really small. I had like two or three leagues. You know, the very first year, I didn't know how to market or anything. Uh, but and that was not really successful. I did it for about a year and a half. But then what happened was I I realized I started building everything online, and I built up this a news source where I was pushing information. Now we see it today. You'd see a site like this is like Roto News. You know, Roto News actually, which just got bought by a, a gambling company, by the way, gambling.com just bought them because they're using them for lead generation. But um, what I was doing is essentially doing analytics. I would create like fantasy tools. I'm pretty sure at the time we had one of the first like um, dashboards where you can list all your players and get customized like matchups. I know it sounds like now if I said that, it'd be like, wow, big deal. But this was like 1995 or six. And we had like an Informix uh, database that was really hard to work on. It wasn't like nowadays where you can pop up MySQL or WordPress site together in, you know, in an hour and a half and have a site up. This was, you know, a little more difficult, but we had kind of some custom analysis that we would do. We'd look at, look at opposing strength of schedule for football, opposing strength of the rush defense, opposing strength of the past defense and kind of break down some cooler things. And I was a big fan of Bill James, you know, in Stats Inc. And I read a lot of that. I wasn't really a sabermetrics guy, but I liked the books, like the baseball books that he would do, the handbooks. I bought them all the time because they were great. I mean, they were really, really great for that one nerdy spot. Like when you, you know, you'd find a nerd at the baseball game when he had one of these handbooks and he brought it to the game with him, you know, and he was looking at it, but I loved it. And we, I, all of a sudden overnight, that was what became successful. You know, I had all of a sudden I had like three or 4,000 subscribers in like a month and a half. And I didn't, you know, and I was charging them a, a monthly subscription at the time. There was that argument where do you want to be ad only, or did you want to be a subscription. The ad only businesses actually that started at that time got killed. They didn't make a lot of money. You know, they weren't as successful as they thought they'd be. And really what it ends up being is you're going to be a hybrid. That's what the modern business is. You're a hybrid of some ads, some subscription, and that's really what works. But it was fantastic business. I loved doing, you know, it was a lot of writing. I think I wrote, I would write, 
I don't know, five, 600 articles, you know, during a, a season for baseball. And I would do matchups every week in football. Like you do every game, it would take me like 16 hours to do, to write about like why you should go with Alvin Harper this week or why Randy Moss should be benched. And you got this voracious group of fans who were really excited about, you know, their fantasy sports. And I think it was a great way at the time when people couldn't always access legalized betting to get in, involved in the sport and make it more interesting. And I think that's what this fantasy sports player is sort of the same as the gambler, the guy who wagers. And he may only wager 5 and $10 on a game. But there, you didn't have access unless you had someone on the street or you had a bookie or something you could bet with. Most people weren't able to do any of that kind of betting. So fantasy sports was the outlet. And when you really look at the league growth, I don't think the Major League Baseball, you know, Major League Baseball didn't even look at fantasy sports until it was like 10, 15 years popular. And same with fantasy football, football, because they didn't really know how to embrace it. And they didn't know there was always that, are we crossing a line? Is it legal? Is it illegal? And of course, the real definition was because fantasy sports where you're compiling a team creates, you know, takes skill and betting is more of luck and chance. So that's, that's the way that they referenced it. And it was very legal and there were different lawsuits. Major league baseball players couldn't use their identities. I mean, it's, it was a fun business to be involved in. I did it for about 15, 16 years and then just got into some other businesses. Cause I was getting, it, it's, it's a lot to do. I mean, I was writing every single day for like hours. So, but I loved it, but that, you know, it fills in like to be in analytics and in looking at stocks nowadays. Yeah, maybe that's a good lead into how you got into some of the uh, investment, you know, public equities arena, because obviously, like now you're kind of looking at some of this from the perspective of as an investor, you know, what are the uh, DFS companies worth? What are the sports gambling companies worth? Obviously, they offer analytic services, too. So kind of interesting shift from, you know, being an operator to kind of looking at it more from an investment approach. But yeah, if you could talk a little bit about that transition, that'd be great. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, stocks are like players, right? In fact, there used to be a there used to be a fantasy game that was about stocks where they would actually value the players like stocks and they would put numbers on them, you know, that they would put like an arbitrary number on each player value based on news. They had some algorithm they did. I can't remember the name of the site, but stocks are the same as 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 players in sports. Like when we look at fantasy, you're always looking for guys who are like overvalued, undervalued. That's what we do in stocks. You know, you're looking for true value. You know, is this guy one of the things that baseball is great at baseball? because you do it so many times, you, you go to bat 600 times a season, your true, who you are shows up, you know? So you see over a season, what a guy really does. If he's a 280 hitter, he's going to be found out. He'll be a 280 hitter after 550 at bats. And so you really see who guys are. And so performance really the track record is big in baseball, but I think in, in, in fantasy, in fantasy football, it's the same thing as like, um, I'm looking at like, we were talking about Tesla a little bit. And I think Tesla is a really interesting company because it's probably truly still undervalued in ways that people go, what? It's crazy. The price earnings is 100 and I think it's 190 or something, right? So it's way out there and it seems like it's not. But as they get these plants online, like the new plant in Dallas, the plant in Germany, these plants in China, as they get their in there and they're, and they're starting to make 30% margins on these electric vehicles, which no one can do. Because Ford is only making 15% on their electric vehicle and Tesla is making double. And so when you look at it and, and they start to build in those profits and that revenue into that price earnings, that's going to come down. And then you hear something like Tesla and, and the advancements they keep doing, the Tesla phone. I don't know if you know anything about the Tesla phone, but there's a Tesla phone that they're, that they're coming out with for like $1,200. So think about the model they're doing. They're like Apple. They're being Apple. Let's integrate everything into the Tesla world. You know, and so that's what he's doing here. There was a Tesla phone coming out that's going to compete with the iPhone. And I think that's really 
just along those same lines of Apple, if you're in the Apple world, you're going to own five or six Apple devices to be connected, to have that integration. And so I think that's what Tesla's thinking. If you're going to buy the car, there's a good chance we're going to sell you the phone and we're going to sell you the phone when you buy the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the analogy to fancy sports because I think of my own portfolio that way, especially in terms of, you know, if there's a waiver wire, you could pay a certain amount for a player. If there's a snake draft, you know, you can use positioning to, to get particular players. You know, Tesla specifically, I, I feel like I'd think of it as a player you pay up a lot for, but because of the growth um, and the future potential, you know, there there is a way to grow into that valuation and grow into that value. Um, but obviously, you know, it's more than just one, right? Like there's a lot of different slots. You manage an ETF called IBET where you know, I think the largest allocation maybe comes in at a touch below 5%. Um, I know personal portfolio, you probably have thoughts on how to allocate there. But I guess when it, it comes to building a whole roster, a whole team, it would be great to hear your thoughts on asset allocation and then figuring out, you know, what's the right risk reward? How large should I size positions? Um, and what's your whole approach as it pertains to that? Now, so, you know, I have a, I also have an advisory too that has uh, private wealth. It's called Baseline Investments. And so we do manage portfolios for clients, individual clients. And I would say generally, first off, it's those clients have to be individually looked at each one as, you know, like my mom is 85, but my mom's not a normal 85 year old. My mom wants to make as much money as she can because she has a great pension. She doesn't care about necessarily the drawdowns that you might get in a bad market, a 30% drawdown, which we know we've seen. We saw it a year and a half ago. We saw a big drawdown in tech in the last you know, eight to ten, eight months, really. And so it really is about the individual client. So if I, if, if I say to my mom, my mom's comfortable being in a lot of tech positions, a lot of things that resemble the triple Qs, a lot of things that resemble you know, maybe being in Amazon or Google and a lot of the higher end tech companies. If you look at some other clients, though, really just want to have, uh, they want to have income. You know, so that might be a dividend portfolio. I think it's, it really varies based on what your need is. And the, use, the word we use as advisors is you know, time horizon. You know, my mom, her, her real goal with her account is really to grow it. And she doesn't need the money. So she doesn't need to use that money right now. So she'd rather just even continue, even though she's 85. Now, most 85-year-olds want to preserve wealth and they want to be able to take, you know, whatever their RMD is, required minimum distribution is out without having lost any principal. And, and I think the rule of thumb on, you know, a portfolio is if you can live on 5% uh, with your RMD, if you can live on 5% of your portfolio, you probably will maintain it forever. If you're going into 8 and 10%, you're going to be losing it. I think in terms of when you break up a, a a person's holdings. I think a good responsible advisor doesn't have 50 holdings in a, in a, in a, in a portfolio because it's too hard to really know about those companies. You should be well-versed in those companies if they're, if they're being held by your, you know, by, uh, for your client account. And I think the right amount of number, maybe 20 to 30, you know, maybe two to 3% holdings. It's uh, what I'm seeing now um, is interesting is I'm seeing uh, some new ETFs that are coming out that are hold, actually creating diver- uh, hedge hedges in them. So like they're their own hedge funds where they're putting in 20% gold or 20% of a Bitcoin or Bitcoin exposure. Or, uh, so I think that's kind of interesting, but I think really responsibly, you have to be diversified. It has to match the client's risk tolerance and you have to think about horizon and what their goals are short-term and long-term. Yeah, it totally makes sense. There's no silver bullet and depends on the client. I mean, maybe let's deep dive a bit into IBAT because I think a lot of my listeners um, are definitely interested in, in having that type of exposure that would come from an active manager who really knows a, a space they're not accustomed to. 
I mean, me personally, I, I play a lot of DFS. I've done sports betting, but in terms of thinking about the companies involved, I, I haven't done uh, nearly as much analysis as someone like you has. And I, I've definitely, you know, as, as we were kind of getting ready for this podcast, I looked at iBet and said, you know, th- this is something I could probably use in my portfolio, but definitely want to ask Jeffrey some more questions. Um, so, you know, looking at some of the, the positions you have, it'd be, um, it'd be great to hear your thinking around what constitutes, you know, a small position in the portfolio, what constitutes a larger one. Are there any themes you're thinking about? You know, how do you go about uh, managing it on a, a daily basis? Or is it something that's kind of more passive than that? Uh, but yeah, I, I think our, my listeners would definitely be interested to hear you know, from an active manager what your approach is to positioning in that ETF and, and also just generally what are the themes and uh, how do you think about uh, bringing in a position or taking out a position? Well, one of the things I think you're going to see in a lot of these portfolios is, you know, the, obviously the sector has gotten crushed. It's probably way overcorrected. Um, but and so right now, this is a good time to be looking at it, right? You don't want to be buying at a too, too late. You don't want to be buying too early. But a lot of these stocks have reset a lot uh, because of, you know, what's going on in the space, customer acquisition, consolidation, investment. And so we're not seeing the real true margins. And I don't think we're going to see them for probably, you know, 12 to 14 months where we have like FanDuel, um, you know, and some of these companies where they're going to start showing profits, but maybe not until uh, like Penn National Gaming, expecting to maybe show profit by the fourth quarter this year you know, when we get back into football season, one of the things that you can look at is a lot of the companies, because they've been, it's been legalized so much longer, something like a flutter who has exposure to FanDuel, but flutter because they're in Europe, they're not paying quite the same acquisition costs because they're already, they're already going. It's been going for years. So a couple of the themes that I've been thinking about in this space is not just having, you know, the regular ones that everyone has, but Having some of the companies that maybe have a little bit better price earnings ratios in a time when we're looking for value plays, a company like Boyd's comes to mind, which actually in this space is, a, is an outlier because they're actually up five, 6% this year. You know, when you talk about the S&P being down, what, 12 to 15 and, and the triple Q's being down or the, uh, the NASDAQ being down what it's down, that's kind of an outlier. And it's because they're not necessarily jumping in the pool the same way somebody like a DraftKings is or MGM is where they're selling everything, you know, for the future which is a good investment strategy. But I think what I'm also looking at is I'm looking at European holdings and European companies that have already solid footing, but people don't necessarily know them. And then I'm looking at some of the stocks and we made some adjustments earlier in the portfolio where we took out a bunch of holdings that I thought were too far down the road, something like a Fubo TV who has something they're working on, but it's too far down the road. And I wanted to look at more getting more value and getting more value plays in the ETF. And that's kind of the strategy I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about European companies that have already built up their, their strong basis and some of these adding some more value plays, something like a Bally's, which is a little more diversified, you know, and has a hundred million dollar potential casino they're going to build in Chicago. I think that's what I'm looking forward to, to try to do as an active manager in this. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I mean, it's interesting to hear your take on Europe and companies like Bally's and Boyd, because as you said, it's really DraftKings and, and Fubo and some of these other companies that haven't yet really shown earnings potential. Um, they're getting most of the press. So uh, yeah, I guess look at, let me give you let is, me give you a big one that we're holding. And I don't mean mm-hmm. to cut you off, Ben, but Evolution Gaming, right? This is a company that that is up 113 percent in revenue or 90 percent operating revenue over last year. This is a strong company. People don't know who they are, but they're you know this is a, a company you know that's in Sweden. They don't know who who they even are, but this is a strong performing company. So I think there's companies like that. that usually, you know, people don't know why, but that's one of the top five holdings for a reason. Yeah, you know, because they're showing they have good EBITDA. They have they're making money. 
Yeah, do you think uh, evolution in some of the European companies is the discount there because they're non-US or what What really, uh, what's the reason for that Absolutely, because they don't get the furor, the fever of like this whole meme trading that's going on, you know, where people get behind certain stocks that become like, where I think in Robinhood last year, when I did some research, I think one of the top stocks that Robinhood held was DraftKings. You know, I think so. I think there's a little bit of a and I think this is one of the things, you know, they I think some of this, you know, spoiled the punch a little bit because people are a little gun shy on these because DraftKings has gotten killed. I mean, we just had their CEO come out and say, hey, if you sell us now, you're going to regret it. And it's down the road. I mean, you're going to see operating margins start to expand when they're showing. I mean, they're showing big losses because their investment cycle is so heavy right now. I mean, they're in they're they're, you know, putting hundreds of millions of dollars like in the campaign. They're going for California right now. They're putting together a hundred million dollars to try to, you know, get on the ballot in November. And that's going to be, we still have three huge dominoes. I know in the space in the U S we have California, Texas, and Florida. Those are going to be huge States, California. You're going to see in November on the ballot. Yep. Where, uh, out of curiosity, where is Europe compared to the U S in terms of sports betting legalization? Um, because you know, we, it's you way talked ahead. about before. Yeah. Way ahead. It's way, it's way ahead. I mean, when you talk to, so I talked to one of the uh, people at uh, gambling.com and they always tell me about like what kind of, where the users are and they, and they have a lot of data and they were telling me how like most users in the United States may have 1.2 accounts to bet online, but in Europe they have three to four. So it's just a more experienced, advanced kind of um, crowd. And, and they're used to it. They've had it legalized for, for many, many years. And so they're used, to, they're used to it. And they're not investing so much to get those customers because it's already established. So we're like, if we're in, we're in inning, I think we're in inning zero in the US um, for, for where this is going to go. And where you're really going to see the margins expand is probably 2023, 24, when, when people get their footholds. We know the territory has been uh, divided up. Right now, it's like we're in the Wild West in sports betting and gambling. It's very new. People are still defining territories. They're trying to get their stakehold in. But we are seeing some companies like a Churchill Downs say, hey, we're not going to go after this. We're going to do what we're really good at. That's a company that makes money. They, they've had good stock performance. But they're not necessarily going to go after everything. They're going to probably, you know, because some people will wait. They'll watch from the sideline and see what happens. And then dip a toe in and maybe do partnerships because they have they already have the you know the race and and the tracks and they already have their foothold, so they're not worried about expansion. They feel like it's better to their shareholders to stay on the sidelines a little bit. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Europe is where the U.S. could be in a couple of years, and I think similar to what you see with a lot of SaaS companies that are in the early innings, some investors will look at it and go, "Yeah, this could be thing," and it's it's fair to you know at a terminal value basis to say, you know, this company could do whatever 50 percent EBITDA margins. We're willing to pay a, a huge premium as a result. I mean, I guess to that end, what do the European companies look like in terms of unit economics and margins? And, and what are U.S. investors really hoping uh, when they pay a big premium for something like DraftKings? Yeah, well, I mean, they're hoping for that. They're hoping to look at something like the margins that, that a company like, like Flutter can show, where they're making huge money and their margins are 29 and 30 percent. You know, that's the future. But right now, what's happening with companies like DraftKings and Penn, and you know, those are the ones we hear about a lot on CNBC. What's happening with them is they're in this huge fight. What I, what I am enjoying, what I am seeing right now is that they're reducing their spends and they're being more clever about how they go after customers. One of the ways is I think last week you saw there was a great opportunity to make 50 easy bucks. I don't know if you took it yourself, Ben, but it was an easy opportunity. It was essentially DraftKings had a promotion and this is what you're going to start seeing now. 
you're going to start seeing less like, hey, we're giving you 3,000 or 500 to join in match and free bets. But you're going to see things like this. You're going to see DraftKings put up a, a like a, a teaser bet. So last week they had uh, Gonzaga, number one seed, who was minus 8,000 against Georgia State. You know, and, and the bet was you would get Gonzaga plus 100. So if you bet 50, you were limited to bet 50, you would win 50. So the, what, this is, what this tells me is that they're finding more clever and creative ways, and I think that's what you're going to see more of these kind of really, um, it's, it, it's, 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 it, you get somebody engaged right away rather than somebody who's just going to take the free money, maybe not become a better, and just make the free bets. I think it's a smarter way to go after trying to acquire people in the space, and I think you're going to see a lot of them. So I think anybody who listens to your show who enjoys wagering, I think it's in their best interest to load up the apps and see what, you know, and look at the, well, anyway, if you're wagering, you should always load up and get, be an aggregator of the lines. Cause that's the smartest thing to do. You have opportunities that are just in front of you. So don't just be loyal if you like something you're doing, but they're going to, that's where the loyalty comes in. I think people are going to, who are really smart are going to aggregate these things. Hmm. Yeah. I should have taken advantage of that DraftKings bet. I think I had seen something, but uh, shame on me for not acting on it. I, I think you make a good point that as a consumer, a lot of this stuff does pull you in because you know, the naive perspective is, oh, this is free money, right? They're, I'm getting leverage and able to bet, uh, you know, and they'll basically cover it uh, with some of these promotions. Uh, from the company perspective, and I think you, you brought this up earlier, they look at it as customer acquisition costs. Um, I, I mean, I'm wondering what you think about who's right long term. I mean, what percentage of consumers are just saying, hey, you know, there's this awesome promotion, I'll do it one time, they'll never open the app again. Um, is that not correct, or I, I suppose they wouldn't really be running these experiments unless they thought it was going to be profitable long term. But how do you expect this all to, to shake out? You know, I think it's going to be really interesting state by state because I think that where you have so look at let's look at one of the problems with one of the states that was legalized, which is New York. So New York is huge fish. It did a billion in handles in the first month, which is great numbers. I think when California legalizes, it'll do two to two and a half billion in the first month especially if it's during like a football season, which it'll be next year, probably late November, December, if it gets on. But I think where in New York, I think it's really hard for the companies to make money with the 51% revenue tax or the syntax that New York has. New Hampshire has the same tax. And I think there you have to be a little wiser maybe in how you're going to go after the clients. I do think what'll happen is I think they'll be switching initially from because there's zero opportunity costs, right? In fact, you're getting, you're getting incentivized to switch. But I think in the long run, it's like fantasy sports. You remember how like when, when we were playing fantasy sports and you were looking for a league provider, there were incentives, there were cheap leagues. But what happens is you do become kind of entrenched. And software does that. You get entrenched. You get comfortable with looking at the lines. You're not going to want to switch. I think that their psychology on it, and they probably have a psychological expert you know, working with them in these marketing strategies. I think they know that at the beginning, people will load up on them, but people do want simplicity in their lives. And I think they'll have a... There'll be, there'll be the tendency to probably stay in one or two just because they'll feel safe with it. You know, there was just some, um, my son just told me about a story about a company that I guess is doing online illegal wagering. And um, I just saw the story and essentially it's not what we're doing here or anything we're talking about, but you know, if they're not safe, if they don't feel safe with it too, because there is this flow of money back and forth, people are going to want to feel safe, probably have less exposure, not having credit cards out there exposed to other sites. I think, I think they're right in thinking that long-term they're going to retain the customer. Yep. I think there, there's different approaches here I kind of want to dive into because yeah, I mentioned to you, I've been a DFS player for a pretty long time. 
Um, so I'm very used to the DraftKings UI. You know, I'm, they did similar promotions at the beginning where there'd be these massive overlays for contests and you try to kind of cherry pick the right contest and improve your odds. Obviously that's kind of different because you're playing against professionals and it's you versus other players versus you versus the sports book. And um, I, I think there's some different calculus there. Uh, but I guess what I'm getting to is, you know, I, I asked you earlier, and I'd love for you to repeat kind of the answer you gave me, and maybe we can dive into it. Yeah, I would think DraftKings would have a little built-in advantage here because they have all the DFS players, and they can just provide a sports book on the side. Um, what what advantage would you know an MGM or you know someone who has an on-prem casino and an online sports book? What would they? What would their advantage be over DraftKings? And and why can multiple companies win here, or is it kind of a winner-take-all type territory? Yeah, well, they have a big advantage. You know, we talked about, I knew you asked me too about in, in some notes you sent me about Antane and how that went on with DraftKings and MGM. And part of that is because, you know, you know, Antane and MGM are already in a, in a partnership on the BetMGM side. So that's a little bit dangerous for them. That's why DraftKings really couldn't come into that space because MGM could have rejected it anyway. But one of the things I think you have is you're going to see, and I'm finding it too, um, you're going to see the loyalty programs bring you back to the brick and mortar with other promotions that they can tie into that gambler. So MGM, they have natural advantages and they're looking for certain key demographics. I know there was another thing we talked about the, when the Cosmopolitan went up and there were like Penn was trying to buy that. The problem was, is that was one of the key demographic slots open because who's gonna be playing this? This is gonna be 20 to 35 and 40 year olds. And that's the demographic of the Cosmopolitan. It's probably, I've been, I go to Vegas, you know, once a month, if not more, and part of that is what I want to explain. You asked me my advantage of being active. I'll tell you another story in a second. But that was a young demographic there at the Cosmopolitan. I'm, I'm, I feel too old to go there, to be honest. I think, you know, if you're, if you're over 45 or 50, you're probably not in the right casino. You should be better off at maybe the Aria or Mandalay or something like that. But the Cosmopolitan is very young. It's 25, 35, this younger audience. And I think that was a key demographic to keep that casino in the MGM properties because they wanted to go for that new betting and that new gambling demographic. And the people are going to be on there using their apps. They're the key, but it's key to have a brick and mortar to tie you back into the space and loyalty programs will bring you back in. My son's getting all kinds of comp hotels. He's just 21. He's getting all kinds of comps from MGM, you know, to come back and stay. And he just goes with his girlfriend. They spend the weekend. I think it's key to have those things. Little incentives go a long way. Yeah, I, I actually wasn't aware that Penn had bid on the Cosmopolitan. So it sounds like MGM really wanted that asset. Uh, do you expect DraftKings or some of the all kind of fully online sports books, are they going to compete for brick and mortar? Or it's interesting to hear you say brick and mortar is so valuable and really does help acquire customers. Yeah, I don't know about DraftKings doing that. It doesn't seem to be part of their strategy yet. I don't think that they want to lay out. I think they're so exposed um, right now with, you know, I don't think it'd be in the short term, you know, in their short term eyes. I think they're going for big marketing and trying to get exposure with their apps. I think that that's the way that culture was built. And I think that's where they're sticking right now is from what I can tell. I haven't, I haven't heard much about them going in that direction at all. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Definitely would be a little kind of out of their core competency right now. Um, yeah, I want to circle back a bit to the, on the legalization front. So I'm, I'm in Massachusetts. Yeah, you can't actually make bets uh, right now as a, a Massachusetts resident um, for the sports books. But that doesn't stop people from traveling to New York or Vegas and uh, you know going to a, a hotel casino and, uh, and gambling away. Um, for out-of-towners or for, uh, for folks who can't bet in their home state, uh, I guess my question is how they figure into the equation. And you know, does the pace of sports betting legalization really have a big impact 
uh, on the names to pick in this space? Or can you kind of you know cherry pick names in the ETF without with saying it doesn't really matter how legalization plays out? I think this could win in a, a multitude of scenarios. Well, I think that yeah, you you I think yeah, I think overall like the reason you're in an ETF right in this space is because you want the cager for the whole ETF. You want the cumulative value growth rate of everything. And the best way to do that, rather than exposure to somebody maybe who doesn't do it right, because there's going to be people just like the tech companies who don't get it perfect. That's something that we can reduce that risk for you have being in like the IBED ETF. You can be in here and you can get a little bit, you can get the exposure you want to the space that's growing, but not get the single stock exposure risk that you might get, you know, if you just pick one pony. And really overall, I think at the beginning, some companies will win. Look, look what happened in New York. So New York already they had eight licenses. That's all they were willing to do initially. But already they're, they're in meetings now because they've seen the revenue already. They're talking about more licenses. So, it, you know, if you get in there first, good for you. But I don't know. There might be some first mover advantage of this, but it's just really good overall for the entire space. And we'll see what happens. I think every week, if you follow this, and I have um, a sports betting blog that I write about, there's every week there's somebody new legalizing or talking about it. Maine passes a sports betting proposal. You know, Louisiana, Kentucky House uh, unanimously approves online sports, but it's it's happening super fast. So and I think what it is, is when you talk about state to state and legalization, we probably won't get Utah. Let's face it, because mm-hmm. of the Mormon culture there, that's probably not going to happen. But every other state is saying, hey, I don't want this going next door. You know, so people in certain states, Missouri, they're going Illinois, wherever they're going, they don't want to lose the revenue out the door. And that was really I think New York was like, hey, why? New Jersey get all this money when you know when we should be keeping it into in in our state. Yep, I think to an extent some of this uh, future outlook is priced into some of the names. Uh, and I think you know what, my perspective on on this for a lot of investing is you know the price is the expectations, um, and certainly for I would say DraftKings and some others, you know, you could almost say more legalization across states is ba- is baked in. Uh, but you mentioned some names in the ETF that trade at very reasonable mo- uh, multiples that also seem that they would benefit from some of the legalization story. Um, so, so what's the reason for the arbitrage there? Like, why are there some names in that this space that kind of trade at like a consumer staples type multiple? Well, I mean, I think that's classic. It's the market. I just think, you know, um, I just don't I, I don't think people know these companies, to be honest, is what it is. I mean, I don't do you know. Boyd Gaming Corporation that trades at 17 price earnings and actually is up this year. Uh, Not until you mentioned it to me now. Right. But they own the Fremont Street Hotel, the one that's the famous one. If you go to Fremont Street, the one that says Fremont, they own that. This is a stock that's up 7% this year. I mean, against even the S&P 500, that's pretty good. And it's because they're in the value category. And that's why they hold a a higher position in our ETF, or we have some holdings in it, because I believe in this company, because it's just a good old fashioned brick and mortar. They're not necessarily chasing everything. They have a lot of, they have online betting too. They have their own apps and everything, but they're going about it in a different way. And I think there are companies in this space, like some of the ones we talked about it being in Europe and some of the ones here, like Bally's, who's a little more diversified too. And they're doing better than these huge numbers like, but they're not getting promotion. You've never heard of Boyd. I, I watch CNBC pretty much every day um, when I have time. And I've never heard anybody from Boyd beyond CNBC. Yep. <laughs> so people don't know about it. It's just they don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think you know, building on that, like some, some of the opportunities seems like there's not a whole lot of nuance in how some of these names are discussed. Like looking at your holdings, you know, 
I would think you know, scientific games or evolution gaming that feels a little bit more picks and shovels than someone like DraftKings or even you know MGM who is you know going to actually make the sports books and is looking for legalization and kind of some other tailwinds to help them out. Um, but but yeah, I guess I I'd, I'd love to dig into evolution and scientific a bit because um, it seems like that's a very different business than some of how the other companies in the ETF operate. Yeah, right. Well, so like scientific, right? They make essentially the machines. And so they're they're like a hardware company essentially, but they they're they're you know they're key to this industry because you know you can't just have the casinos right you have to have all the parts of it you know some of the people are just in loyalty rewards programs where they they track you and they build software, and some are some are doing the hardware and offering gaming systems or doing the infrastructure so there's all different parts of them and definitely you know Evolution is a really interesting company just because their long running track record this company has done pretty well and. Um, They've had their profits right now. They had a ninety percent surge in operating revenue over last year. So when they reported in early February, so they're doing extremely well right now. And they have they posted dividend, and it's a pretty strong company. Yep, totally makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting, kind of the maturity and the economics there. It's you know, someone like that producing cash um, feels very different than you know other. Uh, other areas like, I mean, DraftKings, again, it's like, uh, I think you're trying to look out in the future and go, how much cash they, could they produce in five years? Yeah, with, with uh, evolution or with scientific, like you have it right now. So it's, it's very different from a capital allocation perspective and thinking as an investor, how much cash will I get in the future? Well, and I think, and they're just getting sold off just along with the, with the group. I mean, that's what's happening. They trade, they tra- first off, the, one of the things that's happened in a lot of these stocks is they were great shorting opportunities uh, you know, a year ago. And a lot of them did get shorted and, and they just started pulling these stocks down. And then the, there was kind of like, it's not really the risk that people want in their portfolio in a lot of ways right now, because that's not where the money is and it hasn't performed. But you look at evolution making money with a little bit of a dividend, you know, with, with solid EPS price earnings, that's, it's actually high for the space. They're at 38, but they're still growing into what they're doing and, and showing 90% revenue gain year over year is I think it's pretty tremendous growth. Yeah, this is a company that's in, you know that's doing you know they have their profit margins are huge they're like fifty percent profit fifty six percent profit margins on you know eleven billion in revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you mentioned they they trade as a group and it doesn't make sense based on the structure of the companies and how different they are. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask if we see a recession. I feel like there's lots of concerns right now around you know Fed's ramping up rates. Uh, we don't know what the geopolitical situation is going to look like. The market almost feels like it's pricing in a recession, especially when you start looking at fixed income and go, you know, two and 10 year inverting. If we see a, a recession, is are there uh, names you would gravitate to more heavily or would you kind of just buy the space pro rata and uh, or just something? I guess what I'm asking is from managing the ETF, um, how do you think about in deep drawdowns where to go with the next incremental dollar? Well, I might. So being active, you know, we have to allocate 80% to the gambling stocks. I could throw 20% into something that was a little less conservative in a drawdown position. I don't think that this space, this has been overcorrected in my opinion. So I don't think that's going to happen even into a recession. And if you, if you look in historic times, the things that don't go away in recessions are are the vices. People are still going to smoke. People are still going to drink and they're still going to gamble. And so you might not get as much travel, but if you get a recession, these things, vices usually stick around. And so I don't look for this space to get damaged. I think it's already overcorrected. 
And I think that now is a time to be invested in the space. And so we're pretty much fully invested up to, I think we only have 2% cash in the fund right now. Um, but we're fully invested in these holdings right now, because I think that's where you should be, because I think it's way overcorrected. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And also thinking about recession, do you think that would help the legalization story? And the reason I say that is, you know, a lot of these states are facing huge budget deficits, and that's not going to help the, the tax base uh, if there is a recession. And it feels like there's all this free money to be had if they can just take a cut of some of the gambling revenue. I think I think it's an absolute motivator for the states, I think. And I also think, you know, I hope that this is so the the California bill is interesting. The California revenue that's generated from gambling with the tax, 85% of it is going to mental wellness and mental health. So a lot of these street organizations, people that are on the streets, that's what the that's what the motivation is. And that bill. So I do support it. I, I might get on board and try to help them if they need assistance with that, because I am interested in it. And I think it'll be better for California. California, you know, has a lot of burden in a lot of different ways because there's so many people who live here and the weather's good. So we get a lot of people who can stay outdoors and kind of survive. And California has a lot of burden. We have a lot of people who need that help. And I think that initiative where 85% of that collected revenue is going to go to mental health and wellness is, is a good initiative. And so I, I support that. I would also think that a lot of these communities, yeah, they want to balance it out and they definitely should be getting the revenue for their states when you have 30 plus states legalized. Why would you have, why wouldn't it be, it's not going to be federal, but it will be, it should be a state's issue. And I think we're, we're going to see almost every state legalized within the next year or two because they need the revenue. Mm -hmm. And you see every week, uh, there's two or three stories about legalization state by state every week, the ones that haven't, haven't fallen and will be falling soon. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. So I've uh, I've looked at the cannabis space a little bit and, you know, that you have some large multi-state operators, but it's a much slower legalization story. I mean, you're talking about every state being legalized for sports betting, you know, next year or several years out. Uh, for cannabis, it's it's much slower and, you know, it could be decades or more or, or never. Um, I think the pace there is interesting. You know, when it comes to sizing the opportunity, you know, let's say in a super optimistic scenario, every state is legalized. Um, how big is this opportunity? You know, is it fair to just say there are this many sports fans, you know, each is going to bet X dollars per month. Uh, you know, the companies involved will take a X percent cut and we can say uh, this should happen. Or how do you go about thinking of how big this opportunity could be? Well, I mean, the growth rate we're seeing, the projected growth rate is somewhere in between 10 and 15 percent. Probably the average would be 12, 12 and a half. I think I think you could see even more of that depending when you get these big fish on. Texas will be last, it seems like. But when you see California and Florida fall and the rest of them fall, I think you could get years of 15 and 20% growth rate in some of these spaces. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Again, we're at zero. We're at ground zero. I think it's different than cannabis only because you have different things with like children involved where people are worried about security and, how, and who gets it and who, mm -hmm. you know, how do you keep it safe. How do you restrict the product? I think the product's more obvious here. I think with cannabis, there's more concern with health and, you know, people don't generally die from weed, but yep. you know, there, there is concern about keeping it in the right hands and how you, how you can, and they have banking issues too. You can't bank, you know, if you're in a bank like a U.S. bank and it's legal in certain States where their, where their, their domain is, they can't bank with cannabis companies and some of these banks. So there's different issues they're facing that, that aren't really in the gambling space at all. And I think, I, but I do think the growth opportunity here is 15, 20% for the next, you know, five to 10 years for sure, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So say we pencil in 15 to 20% Kager, which, you know, I, I think that deserves to be at a premium multiple, right? That's way above GDP. 
But I'm also thinking, you know, some of these companies probably get some operating leverage too. And there are some scaling effects that make this pretty attractive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's, um, they're depending on who wins the territories, right. And what kind of partnerships they do, that's going to be their growth and where they really break out. And again, I think you betting on that as an individual rather than betting on the sector and just trying to get the whole sector's gains in an ETF and get exposure that way. It's a better way to go in an ETF than trying yep. to pick a winner here. I mean, I think, I think we, we, you know, there's 70, there are about 70 different companies that could be in this one, one that I like, I want to talk a little bit about what we do as, as far as being on the ground floor and really being involved in this is I do, I am in Vegas a lot. And mainly what I do there is I talk, I meet whoever will meet me from any of these companies. Cause I, I do talk to some of them um, when they're available, you know, when we can, when we're not going into earnings and they tell me what's going on in their space. One of the companies that I'm looking at, I have an ad is the Berhard Genting comp company, which is German company, but they're in Malaysia too. They're diversified uh, casino operator and they own other things, kind of a holding company of, of sorts, but they're in um, they're opening resorts world in Vegas. That's have you, do you know that casino? I do not know. So resorts world's, fabulous casino it's very much um catering to probably chinese or asian culture you know kind of feng shui that way and if you go through the casino you'll see a lot of a lot of that that's their breakup of people that's in there the demographic but they're they're going after a lot of the the concierge uh, people at like mgm and all the other hotels to get their high-end clientele so that tells me and they're and they're winning them because every time I go to the MGM, they're like, we're like, oh, oh, where's Jane? Well, she's working over at Resorts World now. That tells me they're on the move. Yeah. That's a company that I'm looking at. Genting is one that we're going to probably be uh, opening up some exposure in the ETF soon. And that's kind of what we're doing, being an active player. We also, we're way early on Disney. Obviously, we know the Disney story. Disney is going to be getting into more sports gambling with ESPN soon. And ESPN's way behind. That hasn't been a good investment really for Disney at all. But they have this opportunity now, and who would be better than them? They have so much content that they could work in with that, not their children's content, but with ESPN, they have so much content. And really what moves these companies is their relation to content. And yeah, let's, let's talk about Disney a lot more because I think that's really interesting because, you know, they have, as you said, they have to toe the line between, you know, being this family-friendly company and then going headfirst into sports gambling. I mean, if they're going to enter here, I mean, in what form and then what's the opportunity for them? Is it all through ESPN or are there other things they could do at the parks and some of the other assets they have? <laughs> yeah, I know that would be, that's kind of cool as you're waiting to get on like the um, space mountain and you can wager in a kiosk, right? Yeah, right I do that. You yeah. ride for, that that's a kind of, I always imagine Mickey Mouse with the, in the back, in the book bookmakers room with the visor on and the cigar, you know, tending book. That's kind of my look at Disney <laughs> getting into betting. I think that's kind of a funny uh, meme that we could do. I, you know, I think the opportunity with ESPN is great because I think where this is going and where this is, we're the strongest companies, right? So you see like the Barstool, the Barstool acquisition was huge because they have an audience, right? Their audience with Portnero, who's getting in a little bit of trouble. I don't really want to talk about that, but he's, he's coming under, there's some stuff going on with him, but you know, if you have a media way to an outlet to grow or an audience, then you're set in this space. And so ESPN with all their content, having interactive betting, that's the future. That's where we're going. There's going to be some type of interactive betting on the screen for Disney and their growth, their opportunities in this space, because the margins when you get going are, are great. I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at some of these companies when their margins are great, right? Because what are they doing? A transaction. 
they're transacting. So even if a book, even if a house loses, but they're even, they're making 10%, you know, right off the bat. So they, there's great margins in these business. And I think Disney's in a great position with ESPN to really lead, lead the, the entire space on content because yeah, of all the I, licenses they have. I guess in terms of thinking about what form that will take, I mean, ESPN has to be a top 10, top 20 website in the world. And it seems like it'd be, they already have a subscription service, I guess, at ESPN Plus, And I think you can get some gambling coverage already uh, just in the premium articles. But they do have you a expect- show called, yeah, they have a show called like the Daily Wager they're doing, but just that's a prognostication show. Um, and they have some people on there, but we're not really seeing other things. We're not seeing the advertisements we see on MGM. So go on again. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do, do you expect this experience kind of to be built into using the ESPN website? Because for me right now, you know, I'm mostly digesting articles and content. And fan- I play a lot of fantasy on ESPN. But I could easily see, you know, the betting is built into consuming the content. So you read an article on some game recap and you have the option to bet. Well, they're way better at it. I mean, if you if you went to the Wayback Machine and you looked at Disney, I mean, ESPN, where they started, like the odds became more and more prevalent. You're seeing it more and more. They're getting ready because they know people want that. So why wouldn't they have it? So why, when you go look up a box score, why wouldn't you just be able to drill down now and go bet that game at the same time? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it little makes, opportunities like that get me really bullish. I mean, going back to the 15 to 20% number you threw out, I mean, I, I think some of that comes from just more people getting involved, but it also seems like there are more frequent opportunities throughout a person's daily life to bet, whether that's just using their phone or even watching a game. You know, you hear people talk about, you know, first down, are we going to see a pass or run? And there's a money line on that. I mean, yeah, of that 15 to 20%, how do you think that breaks down in terms of where you see the growth coming from? No, I think it's going to continue to come. I think that... I think that the brick and mortar gives you a great place to reward, but I think that it's just going to be continue to be on your phone. I mean, we're going to be more and more on our phone or on our TVs and I see it coming in the TV. I mean, that FUBU TV talked about, you know, having like interactive sports betting FUBU TV, which is a really European soccer TV. That's how they started. They have great, actually, I, I am a subscriber to FUBU TV. Um, and I think that, they they're talking about like interactive betting where you're watching the game on TV. So there might be a field goal where you can bet on a field goal, you know, and <laughs> just throw it out there. And I think, but I think that's what we're going to have. I think you're going to have the ability to bet, you know, people don't bet on quarters and halves and, and all these other things. But I think you see somebody like Fubo TV doing that. I think that's where Disney's going with ESPN. I think what the content is so interesting to me is I'm, I keep talking about, you know, I, 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 maybe we talked about this once before, but you see, you know, AT&T owns direct TV. Right, that was not a good purchase for AT and T. AT and T has been a horrible stock, to be honest, and we all know that. Uh, but that license, that package for that NFL Sunday tickets, up. They have one mm-hmm. more year that AT and T is going to own it. There's two huge companies that are bidding for it. They're huge media companies. Can I'm sure you know who they are. Do you know who they are, Ben? I'm going to throw out Amazon as a guess, and I got nothing on the second one. No, it's Amazon and Apple. Oh wow! Yeah, it's amazing That's to it. see the the big SaaS Fang players, you know, now becoming media companies. That's it. Well, that's what they want. So, so whoever gets that, it's natural for them to integrate gambling, mm-hmm. you know, and Amazon's going to do a better job of selling single games on there than AT&T did. AT&T only had the package. They really limited. You could, Amazon's probably going to be like, we'll sell the weekend. We'll sell the whole package. We'll sell the game and we're going to let you watch it and then maybe bet on the game. And there's no, Amazon's never said this. This is just what I'm seeing futuristically is what's going to happen in the space. Cause if you owned a property like that, doesn't it make sense you would go to that? Because look at look at what Fox is. I mean, um, yeah, Fox. So what Fox is doing, Fox has their Fox bet, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so what did they do? They created or they brought back a league out of the deep blue yonder, the USFL, which starts in two weeks, only to, you know, induce more people to watch and bet. You know, I, I, I don't know who's going to play trash can A versus trash can B in the USFL. Yeah. I mean, but they, that's a league that's designed for betting. I mean, that's the whole point of that league coming back because Fox wants more content. So whoever has the content is going to drive a lot of this. And so that's where the partnerships are going to be. So that's why Disney is going to be a huge player because they have all the content. Yeah, and I like how we're kind of getting into there are companies you think might not be in the sports gambling arena uh, that you, know, you talk about Amazon and Apple, right? I think people are going to think about Amazon Web Services, uh, you know, about uh Amazon just ordering uh, things through Amazon Prime as you normally do, and then Apple, right? It's it's iPhone, but you know that they, they have huge opportunities right there. You talked about Disney uh, a little bit earlier. It, for I bet, are there kind of other companies that don't seem like traditional sports gambling exposure that you would throw in there um, that might surprise people? Well, those are the two biggest one. Like the Amazon one is one I think of. Disney, of course, is still premature, right? They're not really raising a lot of revenue there. It's kind of in my bucket of other non twenty percent holdings. But I don't know, I could see it being it goes over to all these companies, anybody who has a newspaper, they're doing more coverage on gambling. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's just very much in the public domain. I'm not really seeing anything as an outlier yet. But those would be the two that I would think would definitely get in an Amazon and Apple. I, I don't know if Tesla's, I don't know, Elon Musk, if he wanted to, he probably could take over the whole, uh, he probably could take over the whole sector. And if he gave it a month of his time, we'll probably be able to take over the whole sector. That's how he is. Yep. Um, let me uh, throw uh, some pushback here and uh, I'd be interested to hear how you respond. I mean, I think with daily fantasy sports, which you know, I've been pretty involved in, um, it's been through kind of fits and starts in terms of legalization. Um, I mean, I, I think for a while, DraftKings and FanDuel were extremely aggressive advertising. Um, and then, you know, they, they kind of took it down a notch after New York, uh, you know, had, I think had a lawsuits against both of them. And there was, there was some pushback against, you know, uh, people uh, basically trying to play against sharks and losing money. So when it comes to could uh, gambling be completely legalized in all 50 states and there's no guardrails in terms of how much, how many bets people can place. um, I guess my pushback would be for DFS. We didn't see it really go through that cleanly. Um, What makes sports gambling legalization different than daily fantasy sports? Oh, just the opportunity, the raw dollars. I mean, it's made, it's worth someone's time. I mean, it's worth the state's time to, get involved in this because the raw dollars are there. And I think now you, as you see them, you know, you just want to be like, you don't want your neighbor winning out against you. You want to make sure you're there. And I, I think that you look at it and, you know, I had a fantasy sports company, like I said, for 15, 17 years, but it didn't ever have the impact the way that you talked about it. It still was kind of a secondary or tertiary thing. It's not like gambling where you look at these casinos and these major players involved and the major leverage they can bring. So when you think about Disney being involved, you have to think about the political aspect of a company with that kind of weight. What I get excited about when I hear about Amazon or Apple, or when I think about what, how they could get involved is the leverage they have. It's about the leverage for them. So if they can go into States, like let's say Amazon gets into some gambling, I'm just, you know, this is speculative, right? Well, I mean, if they go into New York, Amazon has a big bucket of things that they can help with in New York. You know, Amazon has a lot of things that they can leverage in their political arsenal, and I think these fantasy sports companies didn't. They're too small. These are huge companies now that are getting involved. When you have Disney, that's jobs and taxes and revenue and opportunities. And so that's why it's a little more serious. The fantasy sports companies were small. They were like, they were like me. 
You know, I mean, they were, they were like me starting a company that I worked for myself that I started when I was 23 and they didn't have the weight of some of these larger international global companies. And I think that's the difference. Totally makes sense. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's a little bit more niche. The companies behind it didn't really have, uh, didn't really pack the same punch as some of the companies playing in, in sports gambling and media today. It totally makes sense. Um, wanted to move the conversation a little bit away from sports gambling and into investing in general. You, know, you talked yeah. a little bit about Tesla. Uh, I know you have a, a podcast where you, you cover all different types of industries and stocks and the market in general. I love covering so, the market. Yeah, it's really it's yes. fun for me. I think it's interesting. I think uh, what did you what do you want to talk about specifically? But let's talk about where we are right now, because I, I think it's an interesting time in terms of hearing different puts and takes on are we in an extended pullback and should I be concerned about a recession and rising rates? Or is now kind of the ultimate buy the dip opportunity, um, and you know people are overly concerned in terms of where we are. We're seeing like these. Um, I think what you see is you. Uh, there's a lot. Of, what happens is these days you get these really volatile move days where you're gonna, we're going to get like the the Nasdaq goes up three percent, and that when you see that, you see you know there's shorts covering short covering. That's the only way, and that's classic like bear market behavior. So I think we're still fighting out. But you know the this, the clear sign was the last Fed meeting was where you should be invested was the last Fed meeting. I believe I'm a firm believer. So when I did my podcast, you can probably find this in February of last year. I I had a podcast up. You can search it. I did a show called Inflation is here. It's real and it's coming because I actually I'm one of the people who actually went in and got the CPI report and read and tried to make sense of it. It's pretty confusing by the way because that basket changes all the time, and they and they have to. It kind of the way that it the reason it was so slow to take hold was because the numbers fall off on a year to year comparison basis. And so only when it caught up and we were going through, if you look back at the old basket, we were going through that period of time where we were during COVID when we were actually deflating a little bit in the prices, things were getting cheaper. And then it compared to the the increase did not show as much. And then when we got to a flat line, then the inflation really popped up. And it's in it, so. I think inflation, I think we're peaked, to be honest, like inflation. So that's a concern. I think it's peak. I think we're getting some um, loud noise because we have what's going on in Ukraine. Obviously, that's a terrible tragedy what's going on there. But I think we're getting loud noise because we're getting things like the wheat ETF being up like 30%. Come on, the wheat. When did you even hear it? When did you even know there was a wheat ETF? Yeah. I mean, I researched it because I knew a little bit about the Ukraine, second largest country in Europe. And I thought, Okay, what do they do? They have like fertile soil. They're like us. They have, they're like the United States, really. They have really fertile, valuable soil, you know, from the rare earth minerals that they produce, you know, palladium, platinum, silver, gold, all those things, which have all gone crazy. But I think without that noise, what's going on in Ukraine, I think that we would have seen kind of a peak at wherever we're at seven and a half percent inflation, which is a huge number. Mm -hmm. And I think that scares people because, you know, it's really easy to see it's way outpacing any gain gain for for salary. So even if salaries did go up three to five percent, you're still a guy based on like a ten thousand dollars, still two hundred dollars down. You know, if you look at it over a year, if he's making ten thousand, you know, and he got a raise to ten thousand three hundred, now he's got a ten thousand seven hundred expenses. He's down three four hundred, and that's real. But it, to me, it feels like we're peaking out in inflation. And I think the only thing was we're getting a lot of noise from what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. And I think. The greatest investment last year that I told people to get in February, I wish you would have listened. There were two. The DBC, which is a commodities ETF, you would have made 47 or 50%. And then 
just shorting the bonds, uh, going in something like TBF, which shorted the 20 year treasury, because those, when you give the new interest rates, the, the old bonds become less valuable, the new bonds become more valuable. So that TBF has been up, like that's a quiet thing to be in. It's like something you could put as a hedge in a portfolio. That's not going to be very scary. That moves like pennies a day. But if you keep it over a year, you'll make a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. So I, I, to me, I think I would be an investor. I'd probably be doing something like if you were going to start new positions, let's say you had 10,000 and somebody just asked me this. They were like, I have 10,000 put in the market. I'd be DCA. I'd be dollar cost averaging in maybe a thousand a week. Don't worry if there's some big gain, you know, the market's going to stabilize, but we're, but knowing that we're going to have six or whatever, six more interest rate increases, that's actually okay. We're like, okay, so the 10 years is going to get to 3% again. That's what it should be at. So what it was at for 15 years, you know, the inflation part is the problem, but you know, if you're like Keynesian, we're supply side, we know that that's going to adjust because we're going to tighten the money supply. It's going to be more expensive. And I feel like people know what's going to happen. And I think the market just does really poorly when it doesn't know what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. the sign we've seen in the last two weeks is that I think it has been a good opportunity, but if you're putting new money to work, you should be DCAing because we're still going to have some bad days, Yep, especially with the war. Let, let's say hypothetically you're right and inflation has peaked and we fast forward to 2023 and maybe we're down to a more normalized, you know, two and a half or 3% print on CPI. I hope Other we, than, all, we all hope that, you know, people, hope, right. people who were born, by the way, people who are 20 years old have never seen inflation. Mm-hmm. We've been at like 2% inflation or two and a quarter per, for, for 20 years. We don't, even, people don't even know, like you couldn't, commodities haven't changed in 20 years. We really have kept prices down forever until now. So go on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I think a lot of investors are freaked out because as you said, they've never seen it. Um, but you know, even if we tick up a lot from the where we've been the last 10 or 20 years, it's still more normal uh, than it has been historically. But yeah, let, let's you know, do this mental thought exercise. Say we go down to three or 4% next year and you know, it, it continues on somewhere around there for the next couple of years. That's definitely different from what the market is predicting, as, as you said. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking about um, what could happen in that scenario. But if rates normalize and inflation no longer is concerned, other than sports betting, what's the sector you <laughs> want to own in that scenario? A sector I want to own in that? It's obvious. You have to own, you have to own banks. I mean, that's where you want to be because the banks, that's the easiest play. Uh, you, you know, somebody who, if you're an options guy, you might want to buy long calls in like the XLF or something like that. You get easy exposure. I have some that I own. I bought long calls in the TBF and the XLF, and they've been really good returns. They don't move like a meme stock, but they move, they move in an efficiency. And, and obviously banks, when they get bigger margins, they have to do personal loans, things like that. That's where they make a lot of their money. And so being in financials in a time of, of rising rates, that's, that's a pretty obvious one, I think. I mean, energy too, but energy to me is peaked. I don't think... I think you're going to go into the pendulum effect here um, with energy where you're going to get, you have destructive pricing. So you have the oil now sitting at, I don't know what it was today, but it's like at 115, it got all the way up to 130 at one point. And that's kind of crazy. But I think what you always see in that is oil producers, they don't want it there. They want it at like 70 because they know that people start changing behavior patterns. People are buying more electric vehicles when, when it gets out of line, they'll go on, they'll do less air travel. They'll drive their car less. They'll look for other ways around it because it's expensive. You know, when somebody's out there and they're paying, you know, the average Joe paying $6.25 a gallon. I mean, I was in, I went to the desert a couple of weeks ago. I drove down. I know I filled up at 6.15 in California, but I think mm-hmm. some starts, some states are being smarter about this. We have Massachusetts. I think where your state is, didn't your state just get rid of the, the state tax on gas? 
Yeah, I think that they did something around that. Yeah, in reaction to where gas prices are going. Of course, California is not going to be fast enough to do that. But I mean, we should. I mean, it, it does hurt. It hurts the average everyday person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that so that totally makes sense to me. In, in rising rates, uh, you want to own banks. Let's say the rates actually go back to where they were in 2021 or 2020. So we go back to a zero rate environment. I'm not saying I think that will happen, but it, but it could. Yeah, I think the obvious thing is people say, oh, tech's completely beaten down. Um, why wouldn't I start getting in on some of these growthier SaaS names that you did, did really well the last two years? Um, do you have any thoughts on kind of is tech, uh, is it time to buy the tech drawdown or where do you stand there? Yeah, I would buy it. I would, de- I definitely, I own tech. I, I own a bunch of Tesla. I like Tesla myself. I'm in, we have added to positions for clients in my other company, Baseline Investments, because I do believe that tech is oversold. I believe the tech, I had software companies. I had a software company and the margins are incredible in software. And I think that's always going to be important. And where are we going? We're only getting more tech. Everything is only becoming more tech. It's not going the other way, you know, um, so I think if you have good companies that are, you know, that the only problem with growth, right, is that you have, you're paying a lot of money on future earnings that may not come because we're worried they're not going to get there because they're not going to have the money. They're not going to be able to borrow it. It's going to get more expensive. And so that's mm-hmm. the only concern about growth. But if, but if, but if, if we get interest rates get flattened out somehow, which I don't really see that happening short term because they need to get inflation back in line. But in maybe in two years again, yeah, growth, but growth is always going to be good because that's where, that's where you can create these great margins. No other businesses, businesses don't have those kind of margins. Most businesses, you know, I I have friends that own little like restaurants. That's a hard place to make money. You know, there's not, they're not a big margin in those things. Technology is where the margins are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you about a tech company with great margins. who you talked about in your podcast. So I actually think trades at an extremely reasonable valuation right now. Uh, so you definitely had, I think, had some really good commentary a couple podcasts ago on Facebook, uh, which obviously you know came out with uh, with quarterly earnings and people were not pleased. I mean, I, I think they tried to telegraph uh, some of the issues they've been having around Apple's changes and privacy and IDFA. Obviously, that's weighing on them. People weren't happy with the guide. I don't think people know what to make of uh, you know the capex on meta on the metaverse and how to think about that opportunity. Obviously, the market is kind of penciling in a zero. Uh, but but it sounded like you you were pretty bullish on Facebook. I mean, it, it's a large position for me. So we'd love to hear some of your thoughts there. Okay, so I got killed in Facebook too because I was a holder. The, you know, after they announced their last earnings, I think where they're going in this Oculus space is pretty cool. I mean, I did buy three or four. It was hard to buy. I mean, I had to buy them on different accounts in different places. But I bought three for during the holidays. One for my mom. She my mom doesn't like it. She's too old. Eighty five is kind of hard to use the Oculus. I like this. I like look. Where do you get a company that has this much cash that's trading at 14 or, or uh, what do they have? They, um, they're trading at 15.47 right now. That's that price earnings ratio. That is kind of unheard of, right? I mean, it's competitors. This has been a value stock for, for years now. I mean, it was last year really was when you, when you wanted to be in. Because last year it was like 23. They didn't have the bad news. And, and it really grew up. I think I like Facebook. I got burned in it. I'm still in it a little bit. I don't necessarily like, they seem to be the targeted company. They seem to be Microsoft in the nineties. And I think I kind of feel like, I don't think he ever will, but if Zuckerberg left, I feel like the stock would like double. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There's something about him that they don't, people don't like. And I, I just, but I, but I really feel like, you know, like if they called the stock Instagram, it'd be way more valuable. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah I agree. And that's really the, the, what it is, right? I mean, they bought Instagram for what, $2 billion, And it's worth probably like 500 I mean, it's worth a crazy amount of money. Instagram is really the thing about the whole Facebook world right now. That's the thing that really drives everybody. When you, Instagram's the only platform right now. Facebook's for my mom and grandparents and people who are above 60 who want to look at pictures of kids. Instagram's where the business is being done. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you could spin Instagram off, I mean, I think that alone would be a huge, they'll never do that, but I completely agree with you on Instagram. And then you know, some of what they're doing with reels feels like a really nice shot on goal. You know, I, TikTok that is, is that's a good play on now. TikTok, but he even mm-hmm. admitted that they're losing to TikTok. Mm-hmm. You know, Zuckerberg even said, Hey, TikTok was, a, is a big competitor. They're really, they're really huge in the space. And, and he, so he's looking for exposure there. I think also they're finding, they're feeling some of the effects. And I think you could see it directly in Google's earnings. Google's earnings were incredible. They had amazing earnings, last earnings. Google used to be a terrible performer in earnings. Like if it, they would always go down after earnings because they just didn't, the way that they would deliver the news, they were some of the worst earnings calls ever, if you ever listen to any of those. Yep. But I think Facebook's being hurt, hurt by some of those changes in the Apple, in the Apple store where you're, you're mm-hmm. opting out and they're not getting quite the advertising runs that they were getting before. And I think you could see that in some of the numbers. So there's some adjustments going on there too. And I think Google it hasn't faced that yet. And I think Google controls a lot more in the ad space than Facebook because of their their exposure and what they're where they're able to channel it. So I think hmm. Facebook's seeing some of those effects from Apple too. That totally makes sense to me. I mean, Google's another one that kind of a couple years out trades like a value stock. Um, and I think right. you know there's there's less concerns on the Apple side, especially with Google controlling the Android ecosystem. And funnily enough, introducing similar changes to Apple. You know, maybe time for me to some, move some of my Facebook exposure over to Google. Well, I, I would think that. Uh, you know, Google trading at 25 price earnings is a value stock. And I think the big move here is going to come late towards in like the probably towards the summer because they announced their split. They're going to do a split somewhere in July, 20 to one. We know that split does not create any value, but we saw, we did see what happened in Apple. We saw what happened in Tesla and the stats on splits are that regardless of what it does to your value, because the retail, the real, the real boom in the splitting again, because there was no splitting going on for years. But now we had Nvidia split, we had Apple split, we had Tesla split, and Tesla probably will split again. But it, the real boom in this is that they know that thirty percent of the market now is retail trading, and a retail trader doesn't want to say I own two tenths of a share of Google. They want to say, yeah, I own some Google because that sounds cool. You know, <laughs> I don't want to say I own a fractional share. So the real bump in most of these splits, you see a twenty percent return the next year, a 20% gain in the stock. That's the stat I read. So yeah. I would be in Google, get the 20 to one split buy if you can buy five shares, if you, you know, to your listeners, buy them, you'll have a hundred shares of Google. That's pretty exciting to me. Yeah. It's interesting to hear your take on the split. Cause you know, part of me feels like, you know, it's all, who knows if there's any statistical basis for any of this, but I feel like I've done better when I I'm in the very expensive stocks, um, it, who sometimes split and sometimes don't. Um, I mean, I, I think Apple, you know, I've owned it for a while and it's had to, had to split something like Amazon, right? It's, you know, people look at one share, um, and you know, have, have second thoughts and they're, well, and they're splitting they're split too. too and yeah, doing and a very splitting. mini buyback. Yeah. I was waiting for Amazon to split forever. I was predicting that. I know I predicted that on a podcast last year and they, I thought they were going to do it at an earnings call, but you know, it bounced heavily on that because they know people know, and really it comes, it's think about it. It's really driven by the retail investor that wants to own those companies because they love them. People own Apple because they use it. You know, it's simple. And you get more of these people who use, have, they're looking at their kitchen or their living room. And they're like, I have six Apple products. Why am I not invested in Apple? 
Right. You know, so, and so those companies, people love, people love Google, you know, they go to it all the time. I, I, I think, um, lesser people don't love Facebook as much, to be honest. I think that's the feeling of it. You know, the media doesn't talk about Facebook for some reason. I, I think the corollary there is Zuckerberg gives off this Gates vibe. No one, the same way, same thing was felt about Gates. And I don't know if, because they both have that look about him or they have that, there's some kind of a perceived arrogance or something. I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant, uh, you know, creator and has done some great things, but there's something, I think that if he stepped down as the face at some point, sort of like what you saw at Google, where these guys are not in the face, you know, Sergey and Larry, I think it's better for the company. And I think you would see the same thing, like what happened at Microsoft, where Microsoft has become a great stock since Gates has stepped down. Mm -hmm. Not as great when they were going through all the antitrust stuff. Because I, I, and I think it might just be trust with, with Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I think rebrand via the CEO leaving would make a difference there. I mean, it's funny though, when you talk to the Facebook bulls and I think I include myself there, you know, you, you, the, the story on Zuckerberg is it's this amazing capital allocator who has got all these companies, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp being some of the big ones. I think you could throw yeah. Oculus there on the cheap. So I would actually say as a shareholder, you know, I, I don't want Zuckerberg to leave, but I totally understand the perception concerns there. Yeah. Maybe just not be the face anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the founder in the background, but he, I think he, he needs that. He loves that. I mean, based on the movie, I don't know him personally, but based on the movie, I think he loves that attention when he goes out there. Cause that's, that's kind of what the movie laid out anyway. And I, I don't know him from an inside perspective at all, but, but yeah, definitely yeah, hey, for your audience, yeah. by the way, check out the super pump movie. That's pretty funny. I, I, I read the book and I saw it's on Showtime now, so I definitely want to want to catch a few episodes. It's uh, it's funny they have tra- Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Travis Galanik, and I forget who plays Bill Gurley, but I watched a bit and looked uh, looked real good. The Bill Gurley character is the guy who was like in uh, Friday Night Lights. That guy is great. Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. He's yeah. pretty good. He's a great role. Like you love the Gurley character, but the Kalanick man, they are really ripping him to shreds. And I do know some people who've met him personally that have like startups in um in the biotech space that met him at some like Vesser conferences and they, they don't have maybe the best things to say about him, but the, the documentary or whatever you call it, the mockumentary on Showtime is pretty entertaining, but they yep. do not paint a nice picture of him. They paint him as something lesser, I would say. Yeah, no, definitely check it out. Um, actually a question I meant to ask you earlier and, you know, talking about, you know, meeting Travis and like thinking about the management groups at some of these companies, um, you know, for your T- ETF, and I think for some of the other investment vehicles you run, how important is talking to the management teams? Is that part of your research process? I know for a larger company, that's probably more difficult. Um, but yeah, how much are you focused on? I want to get to know the guys on the ground and ask management a ton of questions. I love it. That's the that's the whole thing because you you um, there's so much going on in the space. Number one, I can't research it myself. Uh, you mean you can't just research it? What's going on? Um, you can research articles online that are third party, but if you can talk to the horse's mouth, right, you can get the real detail on what's going on in the space. And there's a lot going on. And when I talked to a company like this gambling.com and they were telling me how they gave me some stuff I use all the time because it's really interesting to me. And it, and it kind of focuses to me because they know what's going on because they're, how do they know where the growth is? Because they are essentially directing all the traffic. So they're like a traffic aggregator for the entire industry. So they see it before anyone. So they know when advertising's up, they know when the spend's up, they know when, you know, people are, you know, when MGM or one of these places that works with them says, hey, we want to spend X, they know what's going on. Now, they don't tell me specific figures, but they can tell me what they're feeling about their space. And one of the nice things is, is when you have an ETF like this in the space, I actually don't even have to reach out. They reach out to me. That's they awesome, either yeah. want exposure or they want to tell me about what's, what they're doing so that I can either, you know, solidify or, or boost the position for them. 
Yeah, I, I've I thought about that a bit um, in terms of these some a lot of these smaller cap companies. I wonder is some of the discount because they can't get the message out. And as you said, you know, having an ETF and running the structure, you get the benefit of those people calling you. Um, but I do think it's interesting that you know, without the press factor, that probably leads to a little bit of a discount on the multiple side. For sure, that, that's the, that's always what it is, and that's why I think that I, I honestly think because of the noise around some of the larger holdings and some of the companies that they've heard a lot of the lesser companies in this space mm-hmm. because because they because you know people just look at it now for some reason we're all around that it'd be I think it's like DraftKings is going to be a great company they're going to start getting into their their number their positive number but I think that it's hurting some of these other companies that should be doing better because they have positive numbers but are not getting any exposure. And you realize, totally makes sense, I, th- yeah. I think during the boom, when we saw the boom, which was like 18 months ago, you got a lot on Penn and you got a lot on DraftKings. You didn't get a lot on any of those. You never heard of Evolution or Flutter. You do hear about Caesars and MGM. You hear about Win a little bit, but but those are really the only ones you hear about. You don't hear about any of these other companies. And and certainly, I Red Rock Resorts. They don't. They they never talk about them or Crown Resorts. You know, somebody like um, Timlin Fertitta can come on and he can maybe talk about Golden Nugget Online Gaming because he's a big player in the space. But not, most of these are not getting any attention in the press. And I think that's definitely hurting these stocks because, you know, one of the greatest, the greatest gifts that Elon must have, and let's talk about like the whole perception thing, is he's an amazing, he's like uh, Barnum, you know, P.T. Barnum. I mean, he is a great promoter. He's a brilliant man, obviously, but he's also a great promoter. And he makes sure to let everyone know what he's doing all the time. And I think it's very clever the way he uses he's sort of like an old hollywood star where he doesn't come on like everything but he comes up in weird places like you know like in the old days before there were all these media channels you would only see like a famous star on like the tonight show once or twice a year mm-hmm. and elon musk kind of does that he doesn't always make himself public but he will he will voice his opinion and whenever he voices it it's it's played out so he's he's quite the promoter i'd say i don't think there's anybody quite at his level of promotion yeah, the, and the promotional component, I feel like you know, if he has so many fans, it's resulted in a, a huge premium on the stock, right? Hundred plus, uh, you know, multiple on the earnings. That um, stock trades differently yeah. than any other stock. It it For trades sure. with this whole fandom in it. You're right. Yeah, on the other side of things, I mean, going really, really small cap. What would the smallest company? Uh, size you you would allow for ibet uh or do, do you have any kind of guards against you you would never go into something less than a hundred million dollar market cap or something like that well, this is really mostly is a smid our space is like smid i mean small and mid cap stocks so that's really the space we're in i'd be interested in some company if I, if they were doing something i maybe would not have a large position but if there's a small company that maybe is like just getting their feet but they might have kind of an interesting story I would, I, we'd probably take a position because I'd want to be more attentive to that company. So I would mm-hmm. take that position just to watch them because I'd be like, you know, some like what we would call like in fantasy sports, we call it a flyer. You know, I yeah. might, we might take a flyer on somebody who's doing something and being a disruptor because I think that's what, you know, ultimately that's what changes these business models are, are, are taking our disruptors. And I, you know, one of the things is, yeah, DraftKings has hurt space, but I actually think I wish I had created in fantasy sports what they did. 
with that daily fantasy sports kind of take where you can create a lineup every single day. I think really, you know, I heard something on CNBC and they don't really know the space to be honest, but they talk about it in generalistic terms, but what they created really was genius actually to have that daily kind of concept in, in the fantasy sports space, because we were all used to playing, you would set a lineup once a week in football and that's it and you'd be done. But now the fact that I can bet on the, I can put a lineup in for the Sunday game and just watch a Sunday game for five bucks or a $10 contest just makes it a little more interesting. You know, yeah, it's a game changer. Definitely. And I think, I don't think, I think there's more to what they've done than like, uh, it was Josh who is actually good on CNBC, but he was like, oh yeah, it's just a bookie app on a, on a, and it's not really, it's not, Mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of things that they've done in the industry that are actually revolutionary, but they're, they're probably too under the radar and what it really is. But so I think I actually think they've been a quite a revolutionary company in the space. Yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you go soon. But that does bring up a really interesting question that I wanted to get your take on. So I, I think DFS, as you said, you know, went from this very small timey thing uh, to everyone's playing. And generally, when I'm watching a game, I have at least a couple of friends who either have uh, bets on DraftKings or FanDuel or, or some other platform. Um, and it kind of I mean, I've seen this a little bit. There are definitely some larger, uh, you know, I, I would, I want to call them financial institutions, but there are groups that have lots of capital. Um, they're starting to enter sports gambling and DFS in a big way. Um, and it strangely reminds me a little bit of, of what I feel like I'm seeing in, uh, in the crypto world a bit, which went from kind of, you know, smaller time, uh, you know, kind of people, uh, that perhaps did not garner the most respect in the financial world to, you know, large wall street firms are now using, you know, these publicly traded companies as exchange makers, whether that's Coinbase or I think Silvergate Capital is the other one. Um, do you think, you know, it's kind of a right tail, really nice outcome. We could ever see huge financial players, um, whether that's hedge funds or, you know, people who handle a lot, a lot of capital um, playing in sports gambling. And I think that would create a, a ton of other opportunities for, you know, any company who wants to provide some of those more enterprise services. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think they go where the money is, right? So when they see that it's one thing is they have some of the firms have to get past whatever ESG kind of things that they're going by or whatever their social policy standards are. But yeah, you see, you see VC firms. I I'm trying to think of the name of the VC firm that actually owned, had the own the cosmopolitan before it got sold. That was, Mm -hmm. that was an investment house. I why can't I think of it? I can't, but it's one of the large ones that we all know that actually owned that stake in the cosmopolitan at one point. So I think we're going to see way more involvement because I think that's where the deals are and that's where the money is. And once it becomes legalized all over, there's going to be, cause they just go the, those, they just, they're interested in the growth and the gains. That's, that's all they're concerned about. So they're, they're looking at facts and numbers. And, and I think they're seeing that in the space. And I think what we're going to see is as we move and we get to, like I say, I think this is inning zero. That's why I like getting in this space. Now I bet ETF or, you know, any of these stocks are at inning zero. And I think when you get into inning one and two and you start seeing the growth potential and these companies go from being little babies into men or women or mm-hmm. grown ups, then you're going to start to see these margin expansion, which you'll start to see probably in 2000, a little bit, maybe in some of them like Penn, maybe in 2022, where they're starting to show profit to like 2023, we're going to start seeing it. Awesome. Yeah. Inning zero. I'm definitely extremely excited. Jeffrey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, where can people find you and your ETF if they want to know more about you? Sure. If they want to look me up, they can look up Inherent Wealth Fund or they can look up the IBET, IBET ETF, Sports Betting and Gaming ETF. Awesome. Thanks for thanks having again. me, Ben. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a great day. Okay.